the reassurance of our beliefs through our worship and our music plays a big role in every service. It's been a roller coaster of a week here. We've you ever just get physically exhausted and yet it's it, it it's from mental anguish i mean you know you, you you haven't it's not a physical exhaustion it's an it's a it's a stressful mental anguish and it's kind of been our week we've had two funerals um that we attended or had this week and then Congratulations, uh, a wedding yesterday afternoon, uh, Mary Ellen and Chris uh, got married and it's just been, you know, and then a, a dinner for here yesterday after the wedding to tear down and set up, you know, uh, for for a dinner for the Goodalls and, and the panels because they had a lot of family in from out of town and, and it was just, it's... And and by the way, I don't take for granted those of you that worked tirelessly yesterday afternoon, and we want to thank you. Um, that was on the spur of the moment, almost with uh, and and to to feed a host of people. And and uh, I know if Caitlin was here, she'd say thank you, and we'll do it for her. So thank you very, very much. It was much appreciated. We have been in Romans chapter, uh, we was in Romans chapter 10. Um, Last week we'll do the complete chapter of Romans chapter 11, and I won't be three hours, I'll promise you, Um, because it's all one theme. In chapter 9 we saw... Uh, God's past dealings with Israel and in chapter 10 we saw um, God's present dealings with Israel and now in chapter 11 of Romans we see God's future dealings with Israel and this study that we've been on and series read it yourself um, if you didn't get an opportunity to hear it all, take the time while you're driving to go back and, and listen to it on sermon audio or or uh, Facebook. I call it Facebook sometimes, Facebook. Um, uh, and and it, it, it's very good. It, it's it, it it would be considered what I believe. If I ever wrote a book, I would take these series of sermons and just put them in chapters as to what I believe God's Word teaches us doctrinally and theologically. And um, it, it, it was it's kind of odd that right in the middle of the book of Romans of all this doctrine and theology, um, Paul pulls out three chapters and talks about Israel and and I'm I'm glad he did because it sets us straight as to what the Bible says concerning the nature of of that nation and for centuries centuries 
um, people have been puzzled by Israel. And here Paul devotes the whole chapter presenting proof that God is not through with the nation of Israel. It's literally the future for a literal nation. And you you think about it, there's approximately 15 million Jews throughout the world, and the percentage of those um, who are believers in Christ um, is really probably higher than the percentage for us Gentiles throughout the world. I think there's, uh, last I read or saw, there's probably 4 billion Gentile you know, people throughout the entire world. And, and if, if you looked at the percentage of, of Gentiles that have trusted Christ versus the total population and the percentage of uh, Jewish people who have trusted, it's probably higher and yet we we saw and and have seen my English teacher over here will crucify me. Um, we'll have we've we've seen the nation as a whole of Israel rejected Christ. Obviously, they crucified him, and and so God has. Uh, so we have to ask the question: Has God permanently rejected the nation? And, and does, is there a future? You know, the whole Old Testament is the history of this nation and, and what transpired. And so we have to ask ourselves, has God rejected them? And Paul answers that for us beginning with Romans chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. And they'll put it up and we'll read it for ourselves. I say then, has God cast away his people Certainly not, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah and how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, and he he goes on and and. And after, if, if, if you really, you know, I, I, we don't have time for me to go through all these verses and pick out. And, and so I'll, I'll try to highlight or cherry pick from it. But after calling himself and Elijah in those two verses as witnesses, you know, in verses 1 and 2, he proceeds to use throughout this entire chapter other witnesses, so to speak, Uh, from Gentiles, from patriarchs of the past, such as David, if you read the whole chapter, to prove that there is a future for Israel. And there is going to, he's saying way back here, when he's, you know, after the death of Christ, when he's writing this book to the the Roman church um, there, he's saying that there is a remnant that is finding salvation and that's all present tense, still true today. There, there is actually, uh, we have as a church, um, CRA has a, a mission in the nation of Israel to witness and lead the Jewish people to Christ. And so 
he, he then testifies in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 11. He says, then as we look on, you know, and, and, and go through, he, he says, even, even so then at this present time, and that can be brought right up to today, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. In other words, it's they're, they're trusting Christ by grace through faith. And he goes on to define, and if by grace, then it is no longer of works. They're not under the law. There's no longer works. And, and here's the, the killer statement. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What's all that mean? We must note, though, first in verse 5, that there is a remnant of Jews being saved by grace and not of works of the law. In fact, they were never saved by works of the law. They were saved by faith in the Messiah to come. And, and if you go read the book of Hebrews, and, and it, it, it defines rather distinctly. And, and, and it, if, it, if it is Jews that have simply put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And all this can be very confusing. But then Paul very pointedly, if, if distinctly, tells us no one cannot mix grace and works. It, 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 they are uh, diametrically different. It's, it's kind of like North and South Pole. They're, they're not one and the same. And so you cannot mix them. And the nation of Israel refused to believe in Christ's righteousness. They refused to believe that he was the Messiah. And so Paul is dealing with this here. And, and, it's, and it's just like religion today. I mean, you know, it was religious people back then that crucified and, and, and it's religious, you know, to be honest with you, it's self-righteous people today who refuse to submit to grace. Um, they don't want to believe that, that salvation is a simple gift from God by trusting and simply believing and calling upon Christ and accepting the fact that his death, burial, and resurrection is, 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 is what saves us. And, and so, uh, uh, to be honest with you, um, it's a fearful thing uh, from, from a pastor's or a, a Christian's standpoint to line up the doctrine of many religious denominations today. It's fearful to line up their, their, their doctrine and their theology against the doctrine of grace. And the ones, you know, you don't have to cherry pick this one verse 
to understand that there is a religious group of people, of individuals, and I'm talking about the world church, you know, universal, everybody that, that says they're a, an organization, they have all this doctrine. It's fearful to wonder and think about, are they truly saved? Because if they are believing in works of any sort, Paul says that if it is of works, it is no longer grace. And we know that it's grace alone and Christ alone. We just sang it. And, and singing it is, is just a confirmation of what Paul is saying here. And, and I can, Titus, I'll, I'll give you two other verses so that you say, well, you're just pulling out one verse, one verse. You, you sound like other denominations. We just pull out one verse. No, it's the entire theme of the New Testament, of the New Covenant. Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace have you been saved through faith, not of yourselves. Read that for yourself. It's, it's pretty plain and simple. It is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul, in this passage in Romans, where he's defining by grace, he he was making that clear to the Romans that were there for one specific reason, because they had been living under the law. And he's telling them, it's not by the law that you're going to spend eternity in heaven. It's by grace. And he wanted it to be specifically clear to the nation of Israel. And yet, everyone else in this world today needs to hear it specifically clear that you must put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And... and Wow, it, it, that, that just, it, 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 the compassion in my heart makes it fearful for what we consider to be brothers and sisters, and I'm not sure that they're saved if they're trusting in their works. Because, it, and, and it's not for me or you to judge, the Scripture has already judged them. It's, it's, it's that clear that there's a multitude of individuals sitting in churches and a multitude of differing denominations that convolute and confuse and intermingle the doctrines of works and the doctrine of grace as what it means to salvation. And I, I can't say it any plainer than what Paul said it. And, and you read that for yourself in context with the entire theme of the New Testament. It, it is of works. It is no longer grace. And if it's not grace, 
you're not saved. It's that simple. And so, uh, to clarify, you know, let, let me just step out on a limb and saw it off behind myself. If you have to do something other than believe and trust in Jesus Christ to get saved, you are not saved. It, it, it's, it's grace and grace alone. There's an old song we used to sing, grace, grace, marvelous grace. And wow, when you just think of it from that perspective, it's, it's not salvation is a process. You'll, you'll go into multiple, a multiplicity of churches that is going to teach you, well, here's a process. No, it's as simple as saying, dear God, I believe and trust in the death of your son as payment for my sins, and I ask you to forgive me and save my soul. And it's that simple. Paul directly said to the Philippian jailer, point blank dot, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Don't, 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 you won't find me, you know, trying to confuse Christian living with salvation. And, and now, now for granted, Ephesians 2.10 that follows verses 8 and 9 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before that we should walk in them. Salvation is a work of grace, a miracle of a moment. Your Christian walk and your Christian life is a masterpiece that God forms and paints after your salvation experience, and that includes good works, but not for salvation. And there's, there's more than one example of the, than the thief on the cross where Christ said, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. He had no good works. And, and so, yes, sanctification you say what's that big word set apart simply is a three-part process but not salvation sanctification you are sanctified at the time that you put your faith and trust in jesus christ then there's progressive part of that you are being more sanctified in other words living a christian life as and someday you're going to be permanently sanctified you're going to be in heaven and so i i could camp here for for hours and and but it's not what it's not the gist of this entire chapter um so but but please be understanding salvation is by grace a gift of god and your christian walk has little little if none to do with your putting your faith and trust in Christ it is after salvation please understand that and yes we are to live a holy and separated uh, as best we can and and I, I 
I told him at the funeral, we're not perfect. If you think you're perfect, you're a fool. We're not. But, but we are to strive to be perfect through the power of the Holy Spirit and obey the voice of God in our lives. The remainder of Israel was blinded. Those that, had, that, that were, did not trust. And, and th- this can be very controversial in, in scholarly, you know, places today of people that, you know, it's their job to define the scripture so that, you know, we that don't have it all up here. But we see that there is this remnant of Israel that was being saved and trusting Christ and it's still happening today, becoming believers and followers of Jesus. And, and don't, don't let that confuse you. We, we use all this different terminology. I call it church talk lingo that you know well uh born again trusting christ saved salvation believers followers of jesus you can just go on and on and on it's all one thing and and it can be confusing to new believers and and one might ask well well what about you know what all one and the same please don't when I, I, I use different terminology, and, and I don't sometimes stop and go and realize that, you know, we've got people that were saved Wednesday, three, three folks trusted Christ in this service, and, and we baptized one on a Wednesday evening. And, and sometimes I, f- I fail to remember everybody doesn't understand what I say whenever I talk about followers and believers and, and saved and, and so trusting Christ. I, I, all one language, someone that believed on Jesus. And so what about, though, those, the nation of Israel that has not trusted Christ? They rejected the Messiah. What about them? We see that a remnant did not. And, and, and I don't know what that percentage is. I, I don't know that anybody knows. But there's a remnant of Israel that did get saved. Obviously, he's writing to Christians in the, to, here in the book of Romans to the church in Rome. And so what then? He, he starts out in verse 7. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks. But the elect have attained it. In other words, there's a few that got saved. And the rest were blinded. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor. Eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And that could just to this very day where I'm standing here. Did they fail to come to Christ because they were blinded in the beginning? No. No, they did not. They had been exposed, the nation of Israel, like none other. Christ came to earth and walked among them. And so they weren't blinded in the beginning, but are some blinded now? Absolutely. And, and he goes on, you know, you, you think about from what that looks like. Christ came in person, and, and now they are blinded because they would not accept the light of the world. You still have, if you go, you know, to, to Israel today, 
you still have Orthodox Jewish churches. In fact, the city of Jerusalem is divided into four parts, and one section of that is Orthodox Jews. And and so, and, and way big mess. But this quotation from, from Psalm 69 that he says... God has given them a spirit of stupor comes and 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 it's their carnal security uh, and, and and in fact their conceited confidence would be a you know maybe a better that that deceives that that group of people still to this day about their true spirituality you know are they still the chosen people of God absolutely but they're blinded to the gospel by their own conceit this day. And, and the majority of them, I mean, you, you try to talk to them about Christ and, and you're going to get an earful. Um, and, and to be honest with you, it's the condition of the present multitude of church members that are religious but lost. Religious but lost. It's, it's uh, you know, they think that, well, I got baptized, and so now I'm a Christian, or I was christened as a child, and, or they, they, you, they, they're relying on all these traditions and rituals um, and works. There's, there's, uh, there's very seldom that I don't go to a funeral of, of someone, and thank God it hadn't been this week, but I don't go to a funeral, and they'll say, man, they were a good person. I'm glad I'll get to see them again in heaven. A good person does not get them, whoever that is, to heaven. Putting their faith in Jesus Christ gets them to heaven. And if they didn't put their faith and you don't, then you're going to spend eternity in hell. I don't care how good of a person you are. And, and so we have all of this, this ritual and, and, and tradition and denominational theory. And yet... Grace is what Paul said, a gift of God. And they just never have put their trust in the finished work of the cross and in trusting Christ. Uh, and, and that's still true in, in Israel, and it's even more so true in the, in the world of church world. Sad. On our trip to Israel, I'll never forget, and those of us that are here this morning will remember, we had a Jew, Jewish tour guide, and her name was Nola. I'll never forget it. I can, I can hear her voice and, and see her face. And I wasn't trying to witness, you know, I respect she's a Jew, and, and I wasn't trying to witness to her. Uh, it was really just myself trying to get a better first-hand understanding of her Jewish belief. And I tried to talk to her about Christ, and, man, she wasn't having any of it. She got right in my face. We do not, I do not, nobody in this nation believes in the Messiah. He's yet to come. I just don't believe in Christ. 
And, and they don't accept that he was their long-awaited Messiah. He's just another teacher. And so, you know, it, it, it's kind of like as Peter stated, you killed the Lord of glory and don't even realize it. And so, what was the, you know, we've come to the conclusion that the nation rejected. We've come to the conclusion through these three chapters that there's a a remnant that got saved. and, And yet the remainder of them are blinded by their own religion. So what was the reason for this setting aside of the nation of Israel? Why has God set them aside? It, it, you know... Paul tells us in these verses it's so that the Gentiles, the rest of the world, might be saved. So you'd have an opportunity this morning to hear the gospel. It's really just that simple. It says, but please understand, we must, you know, the rejection is is only partial and temporary. God's not through with the nation of Israel yet. And as Paul tells us in verse 11... He says, have they stumbled that they should fall? Speaking to the nation of Israel, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather, plain and simple, read it yourself. But God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation is come to the Gentiles. We've never had the opportunity the rest of the world to get saved if they hadn't have fell, according to what Paul said here. The gospel would have never been spread to the rest of the world. They are presently set aside that you and I had an opportunity to trust Christ. And God is not dealing with them at this time, them being the nation of Israel, but oh my, there is coming a day when Christ in all his glory will return to the nation of Israel again and set his feet on the Mount of Olives and I'll never forget it as long as I live. You can stand on the Mount of Olives today and look across the valley and see the, the, the wall of Jerusalem there, the old, the old city wall that surrounded the city and the eastern gate because the quadrants of Jerusalem is off into separate belief system. There's a group of Christians and there's Orthodox and then the Muslim have on the eastern side of the city where that eastern gate is where the, there's a mosque there today. I wish we had the pictures. And they have blocked up the eastern wall gate and and a gate is just simply a big opening with these and the wooden gates that are still there if if you go in and out and the eastern gate has been removed and it's blocked up why because they're going to deny the fact that christ is going to go through and walk into there in the future which the bible prophesies of and so they've blocked it off it's it's no longer you know there's no gate there and you you I'm going to tell you, he don't have to worry about the rocks in a gate to walk through. (laughs) And there's coming a day that he's going to walk through the eastern gate like none other. And if I understand Acts 15, the the way in 16, verses 16 and 17 correctly, uh, and I want to read it to you. 
He says, after this, I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will rebuild its ruins. And I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. The millennial kingdom is going to re-happen. I mean, it's going to happen in our future. And God is not through with the nation of Israel. And even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. That's what Luke wrote that Paul had stated back then in Acts. The restoration of Israel will take place. In the future. And it will be restored. The nation. Unlike none other. That we've ever seen in time. And we could spend hours. Debating the time frames. um, Even the terminology. And the theology. And the doctrine. Concerning what that looks like. And when that takes place. And people will say. Well there's no rapture of the church. The word rapture is nowhere in. Well go read Thessalonians 4. And tell me if that's not a rapture or not. The church is going to be raptured out. There's going to be a trumpet sound. And the church is going to be raptured out. And we can say when the tribulation is and that pre-tribulation or is it, you know, is it, is it post, uh, the, you know, the rapture of the church. And there's all this discussion by theologians concerning amillennialism or premillennialism or, or post-millennial. And me and your dad used to argue about it. He, he believed in somewhat in an amillennialist and I'm a premillennialist. And, and, and. And, 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 yeah, and, and we would talk and, and discuss and, you know, and he, he would always, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd go back and forth and then he'd say, well, I understand. I, I really believe the way you do, but we just, we use different terminology. The long and the short of it is it really doesn't matter because someday we're going to find out who's right. And the fact of the matter is God is still on his throne. And many people and are very pessimistic today about the future of our civilization and the church and, you know, all this, the Antichrist and, you know, all these different politicians and world. Well, that's the Antichrist. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I, I don't believe it all that I hear. And only half of what I see, by the way. Um, <laughs> you know, and folks are scared for their children and, and the grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. And let me go on record. God is still on his throne. He's going to straighten all this mess out someday. He will return. He will rapture out the church. And he will set up a millennial kingdom. And... The best is yet to come for the child of God, just to be quite frank with you. And for us to sit and fret and worry and watch the news and cry and moan and groan, turn it off and read it for yourself. He's coming again. And the truth of the matter is, oh, what a glorious future that it is for the child of God. And we and our children that are saved, we are saved for such a time as this, to reach a lost and dying world with the gospel of grace. 
We ought to be spreading the good news instead of worrying about the shape of our world. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't go and vote, and that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be involved in local politics. In fact, I think every Christian ought to be involved in some form of local politics because you're going to find out that if you are not there, someone in a position with a Christian mindset, they'll turn your school district and your local counties upside down. If you don't believe it, just go look what's happening in other places. But it does not, does not affect the fact that God has lost control of what's going on in this world. He's still there pushing the buttons and knows what's going on. And all of we've just talked about this morning is going to come to pass. And many of us, Believe it's sooner than later. And your days are numbered that you're going to have in order to trust Christ as your Savior. And all that we put our, our, our wealth and uh, all of our materialistic ideologies that we're worried about on this earth, not going to mount to a hill of beans. Only what's done for Christ will last. And it's why that we as a church and and those that believe the truth are putting money into the spreading of the gospel worldwide. And it's why we spend our time and effort in speaking Christ. Because who knows? We may not get out of this building this morning before the trumpet sounds and the church is called out. According to Jack Van Empey and other people a whole lot smarter than I am, there's nothing has to happen for God to rapture out the church. And in the moment, the twinkling of an eye will be gone, and those that are not saved will still be here. Sad but true. Will there be people saved during that time frame of the tribulation period or the millennial kingdom? Yes. I think Jews and Gentiles alike will have an opportunity. But man, if, if I understand it right, you think it's bad now, it's going to be hell on earth at that time. The Bible says the blood in the valley of Armageddon, the war that's going to take place in the nation of Israel, the blood is going to flow literally to the horse's bit. There's going to be a war coming around this world. And the only thing I can say is thank God that we're not going to be here if you're saved. Woohoo! Let's stand.